last till meal rice. Okay, so uh, what about games? I'm not really into games. Really? Look, love, I'm, I'm not trying to force you into anything you don't want to do. But when I was a kid, we had cracking games. We used to play Spin the Bottle and, and Truth or Dare. Well, maybe not that one. My best mate got up the podge after playing that one. <laughs> up the podge. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 283 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that wonders about the art event Daniel dragged Daisy along to this week because my Mr. Osborne as a fanny collection has grown to Louvre dimensions and deserves an exhibition of its own. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I am an uncultured swine. Are you? Yes. Finally realised it. <laughs> what was your first clue? Well, today at work. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know where my mind was. Oh, no, let's see. Here we go. Auction talk! That kind of sounded like auction talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was working on some records, and uh, I had this box set that was signed. You know, it was autographed by someone, and I couldn't tell who it was signed by. Just a regular Joe. It was it was uh, Puccini's um, Madame Butterfly. So it wasn't signed by Puccini. No, or the Butterfly. No, no, of course it was not. But I was like, I I just could not read this signature. I was so very confused. I could read like the two Charles and Jackie above it, but not the signature. So like, I got so desperate. I took a picture of it and I posted it to one of my thrifting boards on Facebook. Thrifting boards. Yes. And uh, said, does anybody recognize this? And nobody recognized it and nobody recognized it. And then one person said, it kind of seems like maybe it's in a foreign language. Because it said, ah, Charles and Jackie. Only it didn't say char and it kind of maybe said und instead of and. And then finally, finally, somebody said, that's Luciano Pavarotti's signature. Oh, well. And I was like, and we had sold a, um, a copy of his autobiography last year in the auction. So I pulled it up and I compared them. And yes. Sure enough. It was Pavarotti's signature. So... So I had to like redo a whole lot and pull it from that lot so that I could put it in a lot all by itself. But I was like, oh my God, how, how could I have missed this? Does Pavarotti signed things get a little bit more attention and, and money and bids and stuff? Yes. His, I'll tell you one thing. Oh? His signature is worth more than poor Harry Mancini's signature is worth because I have a signed record of his as well and I looked it up and it was only worth 20 bucks so you gotta you gotta die really really famous 
and be remembered for a really, really long time. Right. So. Well, now you know what Pavarotti's signature looks like. Yeah. Does it look like a big pie? <laughs> no. Huh. But his L for Luciano looks like a J. So I was like, and he doesn't dot his I's and cross his T's. Oh, that's the it's first just, thing you learn. Right. It's ba like basically like a squiggle. And then it kind of looks like maybe he's crossed his T's, but it looks like an eight. I don't know. I, I suppose if after a concert you're signing like over a hundred records that people are shoving in your face. Mm -hmm. after your first you've, one isn't going to look very much like your last one. Af after, after you've sung this opera and you're all sweaty and stuff, I'm sure your, your signature is like not always going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. Necessarily. Somebody sent me quite recently, just moving it on to Coronation Street, seeing as this is a Coronation Street podcast, a Coronation Street album that had been signed by more present members of the cast oh. than, than like a 90s, 2000s sort of era, mm -hmm. which I think is what the, where the album came from. And that was quite good fun trying to track down like 16, 20 signatures, because some of them are easy. Right, yeah. Some of them just look like somebody's just written their name, basically. But some of them are far more difficult to decipher. Yeah. So it was just a case of going through all the current cast, basically. Right. Seeing if I could find a cast card, right. signed cast card, and try and compare them. That was quite good fun. None of them were signed by Luciano Pavarotti, though. No. One or was signed by Harry Mancini. So oh. funny how things come full circle. Absolutely. So how are you this week after that? Oh, I'm a bit tired, a bit overwhelmed, a bit not really in the Christmas spirit this year. I don't year. think anybody is this year. I haven't spoken to anybody who's looking forward to Christmas. I'm certainly not. Well, you never are. No. You haven't been into Christmas since your mum died. I was, wasn't really into Christmas even before that. Yeah, but that really put the... That just about done it for kibosh. Christmas for me. Yeah. You just do it for the kids, and now the kids are basically adults now and don't really care. And that's one of the reasons why I decided not to put the decorations up. It's like, typically, I'm the one putting everything up. Hmm. So, why should I bother? And yeah, that feels yeah. kind of depressing. <sighs> I don't know. Welcome to middle slash old age. <laughs> we attended a concert tonight. Did you enjoy that? cruel to say it because they're high school students but right. there's quite a bit of flat singing in there especially by the boys yeah some of the uh, paint started peeling off the wall at one point but <laughs> oh well oh well better than i could do it certainly i don't know about that remember when we were both part of the church choir <laughs> you've got a lovely singing voice shall we preamble my dear yes please give us some of that choral choring news ah. Congratulations to Alan Halsall, who celebrated his 25th anniversary on the show. He's been on the show for 25 years. Wow. That's a long time. That's a quarter of a century. That's a long time to do one gig. I, I'd swear he'd been on it for longer than that. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, how old is he? He's a bit my age, I think. No, he's a bit younger than me. Yeah, he's a bit younger than you. Yeah, 40s, I think. And, and he's 40s? Yeah, and he's yeah. 40s. I can't imagine doing anything for 25 years. I've been working for the same company for 33, so... Yabu sucks to Alan Halsall. 
<laughs> Sean Wilson, who played Martin Platt on the show, has a documentary about his cheese business with the Discovery Channel in the works somewhere. Jeez. Cheese! It's cheese, grommet! I like cheese. I do like cheese. I need to apologize immediately to Alan Hulsell, who's only 41. <laughs> He's about my age. You've got nine years on him. Mm-hmm. I hope his, uh, his ACL is healing well and fast. Right. Yes. And finally. Yo. Oh, by the way, Sean Wilson of the, the Cheese Meister. Yes. Also a bit of an accomplished artist. He puts a lot of his work on the Twitter and the social media. Oh. Very good. It's very good. Jack of all trades. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Andre 3000. He's he's the spitting image of <laughs> Andre 3000 as well. Who does pottery and is a rapper. It is a flautist. Yeah. I'd say he's maybe Andre 1200. <laughs> A flautist. That's right. His album is really good. If you haven't heard it, go go listen to it. Anyway, and finally, you'll have an extra half hour to try and avoid your relatives this Christmas, as Corey will only be on for 30 minutes on Christmas Day. That's a bit of a shock. And not the full hour. EastEnders is the same. 30 minutes. That's it. And then it's back to avoiding talking about politics with Grandpappy. <laughs> Poor grandpappy. It's a good thing mine is dead. <laughs> Both of them. Uh, me too. I, yes. I feel equally blessed. Yes. So I wondered if they'd taken a, an agreement that this is what was going to happen. Because yeah. it's kind of weird that they've all kind of abandoned the, the one hour episode at the same time. You know what though? You know, it's back on Christmas Day. Doctor Who. Oh. It's back on Christmas Day. No more of this New Year's shite. I'm glad because we've we've kind of noted not so much recently because the Christmas episodes in the last few years have been have been decent. Billy on the piano, and one of, one of them was excellent. The one where it was just just wholesome goodness. Yes, but an hour's a long time to fill up. It is so, especially with just wholesome goodness. So a half hour, yeah, that feels that feels probably better, and it mm. reminds me of the. The half hour episodes during the, the pandemic that we all enjoyed so much. God, I miss the pandemic. I'm glad my grandpappy didn't have to live through it, though. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I can't, can't I, I miss the pandemic, too. I was just thinking about, you know, how nice lockdown was. I was thinking during the, the concert that we spoke about in our pre-preamble. Yes. That... Shit like that wouldn't happen during the pandemic. Well, no. And I'm still not entirely used to that being a thing. Yeah. There were I'm th- getting better. I'm getting much better. But it's still yeah. an awful lot of people shuffling out at the same time, coughing on the back of my head. Right. There were three people wearing masks at that concert with like maybe like 100, 150, maybe 200 people. Very people Yeah. But not as people as concerts we have... Uh, bigger concerts we have attended this year, so well, sure. There's more 300 people, people have turned up to see Stephen Nicks. I think should be <laughs> should be questioned whether it was worth a while to go on or not. Right? Yeah. Whether booking Caesar's Arena was the right was the right call. Bring it to Eaton Rapids High School. Yeah. Less smell of weed, just about. That's Lindsay Buckingham size <laughs> concert. 
<laughs> anyway, as ever, the Cory News section has led seamlessly, maybe not so much this week, into a feedback section, which we like to call Everyone's a Critic. Christmas on Mars. I don't know why you insist on ruining that for me. And even after saying it, you still do it. I think it's a nicer title. Thanks to Christy who wrote in to say, Your podcast never fails to keep me updated on the goings-on in Weatherfield, as I tend to miss most of the episodes lately. Lucky you. <laughs> Just a teensy correction. Tony Gordon was Carla's second husband who organised Liam's murder. Frank Foster was Carla's rapist. And you know, as soon as I said that last week, I realised I said it wrong. Error, yeah. But I didn't think you were going to correct me, and you didn't. But, you know, that's why we have Christy. <laughs> right, yes. Who knows better than I do? Yeah. Then Cheeky wrote in, I have two major issues and then I will not say anything more. They're calling out Nina for being possessive over Asha this week, but they're not willing to look at the fact that Asha was truly willing to throw Nina's career as owner of the cafe under the bus to make her a fashion designer. That makes no sense. Secondly, I think the way the writers chose to make Daniel interesting was, let's just turn him into Evil David. I'm so used to Daniel solving problems with his fist that this seems like a step too far. Like, yes, you want to get the competition out of the way, but Daniel has never been that brutal of a character. Well, just tell that to Ken. Who got pushed down the stairs. Not only is this unbelievable, but it's not true to who the character is or was intended to be. Uh, I don't don't know. I don't know about that one. Yeah. I also think the show has forgotten that Ina, that Ina, Ina, Nina owns Nina's roles. Oh, it's completely forgotten about that. It's completely forgotten, you know. So in fairness to Asha, and we will get into... The stuff that happened this week in that relationship, because I am ready to call off calm okay. right now and complain. Roy moved to South America, we think Peru, and in doing With so, Paddington. signed all his worldly goods over to Nina, including the cafe and including Woody. And when he came back, he never took any of it back. Yeah. It's never been mentioned. Hence, I think he sold hence we Woody still because- call it Nina's Rolls. We, we, when was the last time we saw the Woody? Fairly recently. Really? Mm. I don't remember. Yeah. And then Trisha wrote in, I was excited to see the actor playing Sarge, Ram John Holder, show up on Corey. He played the beloved character of Port Pie on a comedy called Desmond in the 80s slash early 90s. It was so very rare to see any representation of Guyana, a British colony till the 60s, that when it was on PBS, everyone in my family made time to sit down together and watch it. Sarge even mentioned Guyana last week. Who knew the Baileys are Guyanese? I do also find Sarge kind of annoying, but I'm glad that Ram John is getting to be on such an iconic British show because he himself is an icon for the Caribbean British immigrant community. That's a very good point that I think we kind of missed last week. Yeah. Um, Because... I didn't know. We were kind of caught up in him being annoying. I remember him kind of from... From Desmond's. Desmond's, I think, was the show that was on before Cheers on Channel 4 on a Friday night. So, of course, you watched it. So, I, I, I remember bits and pieces of it, but I don't remember as... I haven't... Like, my dad never recorded Desmond's and then gave mm-hmm. me 74 Kodak videotapes full of Desmond's episodes to watch. So, right. I, I remember it differently from, from Cheers, Cheers. But I remember him in it. And, you know, it's, it's proof, if ever it was needed, that representation on things like television and in movies is very important to people and absolutely uh, yeah 
feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to Tara for our coffees this week. Thank you, Tara. Tara writes, love the podcast. I look forward to the jokes. Not so much this week. And shows <laughs> insights. Again, not so much this week. Ah. Every week. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Tara. We really appreciate yes, it. Yes, thank you so much. What are you drinking this week? Uh, a bottle of water that I bought at the concert. As am I. Yes. It's not cold. It isn't cold. It's, it's I think a what I would cool. call tepid. Tepid? It's slightly cool. Slightly cooler when I bought it. But then I got into a conversation with the person behind the counter, as as is my wont. And that's warmed it up, certainly. Yes. Do you have you have some also Canada always dry. have a Canada yeah. dry. Oi! Canada dry. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Tara. The talk of the street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, remember everybody, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're really lucky, I'll question your nationality. (laughs) Where do I sign up? (laughs) Ko-fi.com. That's where. And now, this. Uh, welcome, welcome, You're not welcome. American. <laughs> welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Pgate Len. Pgate Len. Oh, that was the guy who snapped the picture of Sally peeing in the garden. That's right. This was Gary not being able to remember who Len Campbell was until Maria reminded him that he was the one who went to the papers about Sally peeing in the street. Yep, in the garden. I was Gavin, and you also don't know how to curtsy. Yes, yes, that was my defence of Meghan Markle. (laughs) Yeah. We were frazzled like a frazzle with the makings of the festive season kicking off, but all the presents were bought. That's not true this year. And this was our longest episode of the year, as I had a chat with Darren from Eastie Oaks after a recap. That was nice, that was a year ago. Man, that doesn't seem like that long ago. Every second Stephen spends in Weatherfield costs him money he doesn't have, but he may just have found a temporary answer to his problem. See, that's what we were talking about Mm -hmm. all through that. Every second, more money was being spent by him just to stay in Weatherfield. Right, when all he wants to do is get out of Weatherfield, and Uh, then he never did. Never did, and then he did. Well, no. No, he's not in Weatherfield anymore. He's in hell. Adam plays King Solomon as Steve and Adam continue to bicker about the rightful owner of the honking corduroy jacket and the scratch card that was in the pocket. Todd tries to conceal his discomfort when Sean invites Lawrence to Christmas at Eileen's. Guilted by an awkward conversation with a school counsellor, Tyrone decides, for the third time, to make an honest woman out of his. When Summer forgets to be sick at the smell of bacon, she is forced to come clean to Amy. 
Ken is excited by the prospect of attending the theatre with Martha on the down low. Maria's plans to campaign for refugees at the Christmas market meet resistance at the council meeting while Griff ups his attempted intimidation of Alia. Mary hyperventilates. Joseph is a grass. Dev is bearded again. Our moment of the week was Hope, Sam and Joseph's junior seance. And our boring moment of the week was Homeless Stew buying two toy cars. I miss Dev's beard. He should grow it back again. Yeah, it just seems to come and go. Yeah. It's like like the elf costume. I really like it. I I really like him with a beard. He really suits it. He does. He does. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Hi. (laughs) Hiya. I wasn't saying hi to you. I was saying hi to our audience. Shall we dive in, Amadea? Yes, please. Our first storyline this week is Happy Fake Boxing Day, everybody. <laughs> On Monday, ahead of her sentence, and Dev thinks Bernie's about to do a runner, but she's really just deciding what to wear for her court appearance. Which tie-dye dress goes best <laughs> with a court appearance? <laughs> Everything Dev, is inappropriate. And despite Dev jumping this, to this conclusion and then being proved to have jumped to a conclusion... He doesn't apologise. She needs to do everything she can to get out quickly and she asks Dev to keep an eye on her kids while she's inside. And he agrees. And that leads us on to this week's Hard Debate. How much do we think Dev will look after Gemma and Paul if Bernie gets sent down? Not at all. Some. A lot. Or frustratingly high. (laughs) I really want it to be frustratingly high. Frustratingly high was 11.9%. A lot, 16.7%. Some, 25.4%. And not at all, 46%. Which was already proved wrong because he helped Gemma by giving her 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 mum's phone back. So already it's not at all. It's not not at all. Is that keeping an eye on her? Yeah, and she, he tries to make her sit down and have a cup of tea. And then she, he tries to help with the whole big Garth situation. Do you know, you're right. He does. He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fuck off all you people who <laughs> don't think Dev is going to take care of these kids who are adults. And one of them is his employee. Please don't fuck off anyone. I live for the stats. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chesney has gone to see Gemma, who is at the God flat and still worried about Joseph. Gemma did not get a good night's sleep, but Chesney did in his big empty bed. The quads picked last night to sleep right through as well, because they're 28 now. (laughs) Gemma is made of anxiety with everything that's going on. In the court, Bernie is ready for the sentencing and thanks Joel for his help. Paul and Gemma arrive to give support, which means watching Bernie beat herself up about abandoning them both when they need her the most. Paul asks her to shut the fuck up and they'll see her soon. And then the sentencing starts. It's a different judge, but just as cheery as the first one. And she gives Bernie three months inside with a recommendation that she serves half, seemingly full on the side of Shelley and Big Garth, who did nothing wrong in the law's eyes. Bernie manages to keep her mouth shut. And as she's taken away, she blows kisses to her kids. You cannot tell me that Big Garth does not have a record. You cannot tell me. Of course he does. Yeah. So when that judge is like that and and you got that poor, sweet, innocent man in trouble, who is she kidding? I was infuriated by that. I can kind of understand these people who think 
that she was taking advantage of Shelly because Shelly is not here to defend herself and Shelly did not have a record. But the odd, the evidence doesn't really back that up. It doesn't. Because Shelly had been doing this, defrauding her company before she met Bernie. Right. And surely there's receipts that prove that. Yes, surely. And th- surely they could have gotten um, Shelly's helper to maybe testify jim yeah probably yeah and and remember the only thing that we saw that the cops had on bernie was her exchanging money with big garth right and big I garth g- gave her some money and i guess big garth's testimony but really that's hearsay that's he said she said and both of these people have a record and only one of them's child is dying soon it's it I know the show just wants her to go down because drama. And seems to not want Big Garth to go down. Right. Because drama. Right. And which we will see later. And they, 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 they do this sort of thing all the time. I've seen many, many, many complaints about how social services is being represented in the Gemma storyline. Oh, really? Um, oh, I would hope so. Yeah, it about, feels appalling. Yeah, how how they don't how it you it never it's never this fast. Which remember before like somebody something happened in the court before over Easter, and it's like the court's not open on Easter. It's not even the speed of it; it's the severity of it. It's like having Corella Deville working as a social worker. Right. Yeah. She's like so severe with them. Right. And and treats them like. Children. Like children, and treats them like guilty children. Right, yeah. But again, it's necessary for the storyline, because we have to shit on Gemma. And her family. As much as humanly possible. Yeah, yeah. We have to just just brutalise this family every chance we get until they're all dead. Last week I was, can we just give Gemma a fucking break next week? Yeah. Apparently not. Apparently not. Because at the Bistro, Gemma is fucking furious, mostly at Big Garth, who has got away scot-free about this. Paul tells her that she needs to calm down, the social services are coming around later, so Gemma stuffs her face with chips. At Dev's, Gemma is looking for Bernie's phone to get some numbers off it, and she snatches it off Dev and then heads off. Dev tries to check on her, but Gemma is in no mood to chitter-chat. And she must manufacture a meeting with Big Garth, and she demands that he retracts his statement, which she refuses to do in couldn't do anyway saying bernie would do the same if the situation was reversed which is um, there's probably some truth in that right but not if his child was dying i don't think she would do that if his child was dying so Gemma goes to the back of his van and starts wrecking his merch a cuddly toy practically decapitates dev as he passes by and it all looks like crap it is crap (laughs) it's not good stuff i like it's like stuffing and garland and stockings i like to the little toy that hit Garth in the head and squeaked as it did so. <laughs> it saved me having to clip it and put the sound effect in for myself. Right. Big Garth is about to call the cops, but Dev tries to de-escalate and calls Chesney, who was just about to sit down to have a fucking cup of tea. And, and watch some loose women. <laughs> that was hilarious. It was hilarious watching him walk across, because we know what's going on outside. Yes. So it was hilarious watching him walk across the from the kitchen to the couch 
sit down on the couch, turn the TV on, set his cup down, and lean back and go, ah, mm-hmm. right before he gets a text message. Right. That was hilarious. This is the best I've ever seen Chesney and, was this week. But let's not, let's not forget, he's atrocious as well. Right. But he was funny. Right. Because that, it just encapsulated so well what everyone feels that sometimes there is nothing better than a nice cup of tea and a sit down. Right, to watch Loose Women. Oh, not even to watch Loose Women, just to <laughs> sit down and do nothing and drink a cup of tea. Oh, yeah. it's just bliss, isn't it? It is, it is. I did that two nights ago and it was great. Oh. No Loose Women, though. Gemma and Big Garth are screaming at each other in the street while Chesney shows up. A sensible man at last. Gemma explains that Big Garth grassed up Bernie, so she's smashing his gear. Chesney tells Gemma to take Joseph home and calm down, and she and he'll sort out Big Garth. So Chesney doesn't really sort out Big Garth, but instead well, no, he does. helps Big Garth load everything back into his van. Big Garth says that if Chesney doesn't cough up some cash, he'll be calling the cops. And Chesney kind of loses his shit a little bit at this, saying that most of the gear was dodgy is- anyway, so calls his bluff. Garth tries to be civil now, but Chesney doesn't want to hear it. He's up to his tits with all of them, and his tea is probably cold by now. Right. Fuck y'all, he announces, and he storms off. Right, yeah. And that was brilliant. That it was, was good. Very, very good. I To give Chesney his due. <laughs> yes. Which doesn't happen very often. The it way- must be Christmas. The way he just like gets in Big Garth's face and and lays down the law mm-hmm. and says, this is either, all of this is either fake or stolen. Yeah. You were yeah. never going to call the cops anyway. And this is when you remember that Chesney and Big Garth go way back. Yes. Which is nice of the show to remember. And it's only to Chesney that Big Garth apologizes for the whole mm sending Bernie down. And it's only to Chesney that he admits that he kind of feels bad about it. Right. As he should. Yeah. Back so, home. Well done, Chesney. Yeah, well done. Back home, Joseph has a headache, so Gemma goes off to get some paracetamol, and then there's a knock at the door, and wouldn't you Adam and Eve it? It's Caitlin, the social worker, wondering where Chesney is and why Gemma has been left on her own looking after Joseph. Chesney comes in, and the smell of kebabs must really put Caitlin in a foul mood. Chesney explains that it was all his fault. He had to go and see Paul, who'd had a bit of a fall. Caitlin doesn't think this excuses anything, and if they pull the stunt again, the kids will be taken into care. She leaves, and Gemma has a go at Chesney for using Paul as an excuse. Chesney explodes. He does. Saying all of this is her fault, and he's sick to the back teeth about it. Chesney thinks Gemma should think before she acts, because if they keep this up, the kids will get taken into care. He tells her she's not the only one upset about things and she's the only one making it worse. Gemma has had enough of this and she storms off. He's not really wrong about no, this. No, he's, he's not. He's not. He's not very gentle in finally saying it. There has to have been a better way to say it, but... I think he's tried to say it gently before. Yeah. You know, for once... For once, I'm kind of on Chesney's side here. Yeah. Bernie is the one who actually is, has been sent down through her own choices. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget. It's unfair. And I don't understand how the cops supposedly have enough on her to put her down. Right. But they were her own actions. And Paul is the one who's dying. So, 
for Gemma to be the one who's making things worse for everybody mm-hmm. when other people have it, it are in much more intolerable situations within this family. It's just like, maybe it's time Gemma grows up a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point because this really is early game Gemma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the Gemma before Chesney and... Before parenthood. And, yeah, when she was just a scally from the estate, this is is going back to her behaviour in those days. And while her relationship with Chesney and now her marriage to Chesney and having four kids with him and raising five has kind of mellowed her uh-huh. to a certain extent. She still chews with her mouth open and stuff like that. But this kind of taking things into her own hands in a very aggressive manner feels like five years old. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, she's still furious when she gets back to the God flat. What's up, asks Paul. How long have you got, asks Gemma. A few months, says Paul. <laughs> Gemma explains the Garth stuff in her temper and the Caitlin woman, and she's thinking that Chesney might be right and maybe she is making things worse. Paul says nothing is happening because of her and Chesney is angry because he's worried about Joseph. He'll come round, but Gemma is worried that he won't. And I think that's how we ended the episode on Monday and it was like, really? This is going to be our cliffhanger? But no, no, because they're still sitting at the table when Chesney shows up. Chesney shows up and apologizes. Oh, I haven't written a bit on it. Did anything else happen with that? No, basically just Chesney comes up and I think Paul called him because Paul is not surprised when Chesney shows up and Chesney apologizes and then Gemma apologizes and then they're back in one another's good books. I'm quite looking forward to seeing what storyline I've put that paragraph in. <laughs> I'll put it somewhere. Or if you just forgot about it at all uh, no, completely. I think I must have written about it. Anyway. Anyway. We'll, we'll find out together. Yes. On Wednesday at the Godflat, Paul and Gem are playing Ludo, which I haven't seen for years. Chatting about Caitlin and the Gemma situation. Chesney calls up and Paul convinces oh, her there we go. to let him in. Well that happened on Wednesday. So they've been <laughs> sitting at that table for two days straight now? Looks like it. <laughs> Chesney apologises for what he said yesterday. Gemma's sorry too. Yeah, all of this is Wednesday. See, this is what happens when you watch it all at once. <laughs> Gemma's sorry too and the hug. They agree to do everything by the book, starting with today's visit. And at Nina's rolls, Gemma's upset that she won't be there because it's bottom bagging for dinner tonight, which sounds absolutely horrible. It sounds great. Oh, no. Just, <laughs> Just like putting all your leftovers in one freezer bag and then at the end of the week... You put it all on a on a cookie sheet and stick it in the oven, and mm-hmm. then everybody gets to pick what they want. Mm-hmm. That sounds that sounds like if you have toddlers in the house. Oh, perfect! Yeah, that sounds perfect. Chesney promises it won't be for long and insists that social services want what's best. Well, that's not foreboding. And later, Jim and Paul are back playing Ludo again when Chesney comes over again with more bad news. Granny Linda is coming over for Christmas. Gemma is apoplectic because now Linda is going to find out about the social services and Bernie being in jail. And that's as far as we get with that storyline. Granny Linda will probably help and will probably be fine. This, we've, we've, we've gotten over the whole Granny Linda is 
a snob part, haven't we? Granny Linda is a snob. But, but she's, she's also fantastic. Right, and she's... I don't think she necessarily looks down her nose at them. She just wants things to be a bit better. Right. Is that the same thing? Maybe that's the same thing. No, because sometimes, like with their wedding, she wants things to be better without taking into consideration that better isn't necessarily what they want. Yes, as far when as you like saw the wedding, niceties. you would know that, right? Yeah, yeah. That you know, they're not. They're not going to say thank you to like a champagne supper with a million forks on the table because mm-hmm. that that would make them uncomfortable, and that's not the situation that you want when you're getting married. You want to be comfortable, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Granny Linda again. Me I too. do like her, and I like the. The relationship that she has with Joseph and, I don't know, Joseph just seems to be at least a little bit happy whenever he sees Granny Linda and that's always worth seeing. Yes. But yeah, the social service aspect of this really is very frustrating because, remember, this is just based on, what, three hospital visits? Right, yeah. Oh, and also the fact that when she was taking care of the kids, the other kids unlicensed oh yeah there was that the whole getting into the medication thing but like they're acting they're acting like this this lavender oil was just laying out open where any of the kids could get to it and that joseph took it because it was laying out instead Mm of Gemma picked up the wrong thing which i still cannot believe that she would mistake essential oil for tea right and not understand what infuse means because bernie is her mother mm-hmm. it, it's the same as the last time we had to deal with social services when they took that wee baby girl away from toya and imran remember that oh that wee smile and wee lassie yes she was so cute you know and there was this whole like making decisions over the weekend and court decisions and just whipping that child out of that house without any real consideration. And it kind of comes up when Chesney and Gemma are talking in, in the God flat, you know, where the kids are like, what's going on? Where is mummy? What's happening? It's like, that can't be good for these kids to just all of a sudden their mother is gone. Right. And I mean, I'm not excusing bad behavior, but this was, this was a legitimate accident. And there are, there are children who are swept under the rug over and over and over again all the time. Yeah. And I think maybe that's kind of where it's coming from is the, maybe the overzealousness because of mistakes that have happened in the past that get all the media attention and stuff like that. But the decision was made immediately. It was very harsh. Right. And it was the, the length of it was until their investigation is done. Well, what exactly are they investigating that right. hasn't already been investigated? Right, yeah. What else do you need to know? Speak to Joseph. Speak to Gemma. You're They've done. got the blood tests and everything. That Gemma was very up. You know, they were very upfront when they figured out 
what was wrong. They're the ones who told the hospital exactly what happened. If they were legitimately trying to do harm to this child, they would have kept that information from them. Right. You know? That makes no sense. It really doesn't. Except the show hates the Winter Browns. I'm just I'm so done with this pile on. It's, it's excessive, and it's been excessive for a long time. Yes. They need a break. They do. We need a break. And and not a break as in going to Wales and, and giving birth in a gondola. No. That, just to be clear, that's not what I meant by getting a break. Right, yes. But that was supposed to be a break for them. A little vacation away. And they ended up with Welsh babies. <laughs> yes, it did. Didn't. The See? air just makes them Welsh. Let's move on to Hope Stapes' day off. On Monday, at Tyrone's Cassie is putting up Christmas decorations with Hope. Cassie thinks that Hope should have a birthday party with her mates. Hope, though, is oddly distant and unenthused about the suggestion. But before we can get to the bottom of it, Ty has to rush them off to school, not Cassie. Hope. No. Yes. Cassie goes to the garage later to talk about Hope's birthday. Tyrone needs her to calm all the way down, though, as he thinks Hope was overwhelmed earlier. Right, with a, a nice, colour party idea. A nice, quiet party is all that's required. Back home, Cassie's still trying to plan Hope's party, but Hope still isn't into it. Either not noticing or choosing not to notice, Cassie cracks on anyway until Hope snaps and tells Cassie that she doesn't want her there because she ruins everything. Tyrone is shocked, but Hope runs up the stairs to her room before anything can be said. Yes. And later, apparently, Tyrone can't get Hope to apologise, and Cassie can understand. Tyrone thinks that his mum has changed, and anyone can see it. This is just going to take a little bit of time. Right, yes, because let's not forget what happened at Ruby's birthday party. Well, we shall get to that. (laughs) So Wednesday, Ruby still has a different head. It's breakfast as she tries to teach Tyrone about not saying the N-word at the breakfast table. I mean, it was done kind of in a comedic way, mm-hmm. but, you know, but she wasn't wrong about things. Like when when her grand comes in and calls her trouble and it's like, they don't call me that because it's, it's reinforcing negative stereotypes. Right. The bit that she's really good at <laughs> is the not telling white lies bit. Right, yes. Hope has left the house early to avoid Cassie and hasn't left to do a project after all. And thanks to Ruby, Tyrone has to admit this. So later, Cassie is decorating the Christmas tree when Evelyn comes home. The two of them seem to be getting on much better these days and Evelyn presents her with a special glass reindeer that gets Cassie all emotional. They chat about better days before chatting about Hope. Evelyn tells her that Hope plays by different rules. She's not an unkind child, but she's defensive. Cassie thinks about cancelling the party and the cake, so Evelyn tells her to stick to the plan. Hope won't be suspecting it. So Evelyn and Cassie head out, and Evelyn sees a rough-looking man mistreating a small dog, dragging it across the street. Evelyn gives him what for, which the ruffian reacts badly to. She tells him he was mistreating that poor dog, and he threatens to break her nose. Yeah. Who is this horrible man? Yeah, seriously, they're like, all right, we're going to do a dog abuser storyline. And we're going to make him the worst human on earth. Mm -hmm. And it's like abusing a dog already makes him the worst human on earth. Yeah. And then going after Evelyn's nose? I don't think so. (laughs) He looks and or he reminds me very much of a character from Wurzel Gummidge. 
the crow man. That from, just sounds terrifying. Doesn't it? I mean, in uh, Personal Garbage, that, that was a terrified show. Yeah, did you see it with John Pertwee? I've watched it with you. Oh, so we have. Remember when we went through... We went through this like whole evening where we were talking about the horrifying television made for children mm-hmm. in both of our countries in the 70s and late 80s. Wurzel Gummidge is up there. It really is. That oh. and the guy with the guy with the weird face, the weird like beaky nose face mask thing. That's Wurzel Gummidge. No, 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 because Wurzel Gummidge is like a scarecrow. Yes. Yeah, no, this is the other one who doesn't talk, who's dressed all in black and has a white pointy face. That was another UK one, wasn't it? Yes, that was another UK one. UK shows are far scarier than American shows. What was that called? And I think Watership Down just terrorized children all over the world. That was a U certificate. That was G general over here. That was a U certificate. And I remember the scene where the dogs got a hold of the rabbit, uh-huh. picked the rabbit up by the neck, shook it, uh-huh. threw it across the field where it lands and it's got this big gouge in its neck where the blood pulses out of it. Right. And I'm like, holy fucking shit, mum, what are you letting me watch <laughs> this for? It's because it's animated and they're animals. There was so a lot of funny fine. things in it as well, like the... Um, the German seagull uh, adored, yes. but Mr. Nosy, yeah, Mr. Nosy, that thing, Mr. Mr. Nosy, Nosy Bonk. Bonk. He's that so wasn't what I was scary. Thinking of. That wasn't. What Look I was at him! Of. Look at that phallic nose. What are they trying to say here? So Mr. Nosy Bunk comes along and tries to... No, Roy comes along and tries to calm the situation. Even tells him to film the altercation which takes Roy on age to start doing because he doesn't have a camera on his phone and has to use Evelyn's. Again, the ruffian reacts badly to this. Right, yeah, he threatens Roy. Roy films him anyway, saying that he's legally entitled to do so and then Evelyn starts throwing mint imperials at the man until he scurries because away. Because she's an old lady. When Cassie comes out and waves some empty cups of coffee at him. Dragging his dog away with him. Roy goes to get a broom to take care of the Mint Imperials. Now, if this was filmed in America, they would have been Werther's Originals. Oh, you get Werther's Originals in the UK. And it is old men that eat them. Yes. More old men than old ladies, I think. Evelyn gets home and gets Tyrone to make a complaint against the man. Hope comes in, curious to know what happened, and impressed to learn that Cassie bravely stood up to the ruffian. Evelyn says, you'd want Cassie on your side in a scrap, Hope. Hope, though, is still scared that Cassie will do the same thing she did at Ruby's party, which was when she had a relapse and she OD'd later that day. Evelyn sarcastically suggests that it's really good that people don't get a second chance, isn't it, Hope? <clears throat> Hope. Hope. Later, Hope. Cassie announces that Hope has told her that she's invited to the party after all. Cassie knows this was Evelyn's doing and thanks her. Even though is clearly thinking about the rough man and the mistreatment of the dog, which reminds her of how Cerberus was when she first got him. Cerberus apparently was terrified of slippers, which just makes me feel so sad. Yes. All a dog wants is a owner it can trust, and that is very true. Yes. On Friday, Hope and Ruby want to dog it for Hope's birthday, but Tyrone is having none of it. 
Cassie is more sympathetic but agrees to walk Hope to school as Tyrone takes Ruby to an early choir practice. But instead, Cassie decides to pull Hope out of school and take her on a birthday adventure. They pass Amy, who wonders if they're going to pull a Ferris Bueller and suggests they go big or go home, and this gives Hope some ideas. Adina's rolls, Evelyn is still in a bad mood about that ruffian yesterday and she barely slept. Instead, she sat up watching Kojak. Roy understands and had trouble nodding off himself. Evelyn has tried to report the guy but has found herself in a bureaucratic Kafka-esque nightmare. Roy suggests that she forgets it and focuses on tonight's book group, which is a thing now apparently. Yes, that they both belong to. And it's it's, it's so cute, isn't it? <laughs> Evelyn is working outside the charity shop later when the ruffian shows up shouting at his dog who he leaves in his van. The ruffian tells Evelyn to mind her own fucking business when she asks him what he's doing because you shouldn't you know, you shouldn't leave dogs in cars. Right? right. Well, it's less bad in December. It's not like it's right. July. But still. He somewhat threatens Evelyn again by walking up to her. She hurries back into the shop. Yeah, and his excuse is that he's visiting a friend and the friend is allergic to dogs. Well, then leave your dog at home, you dumbass. <laughs> dumbass. Hope and Cassie are at the precinct later and Hope has had an idea to top off Hope's big day off. And as they walk by, Evelyn comes out of the shop. She's in disguise. It was hilarious. And she goes to investigate the van. The ruffian gets back later from wherever it was that he was and he goes to the van in shock to find that the dog's gone because Evelyn has dog-napped the dog and taken her back to Nina's Rolls. Uh, Roy recognises the dog, knows, where, knows whose dog it is and demands to know where the owner is. Meanwhile, Nina thinks that this was a brave move by Evelyn but Roy is worried that the horrible man could have caught her and will track her down. He thinks this was foolish. But Evelyn says if Roy had seen how this dog was being treated, he'd have done the same thing, except maybe not dressed up like an elderly Audrey Hepburn. She wants to help to look after the dog. He refuses, saying that Evelyn dug herself into this mess just to dig herself out of it. Right. When Hope and Cassie get home, Tyrone is shocked to see that Hope and Cassie have got their noses pierced. (laughs) And Hope has bunked off school and Cassie helped her do all this. Right. Cassie says she just gave Hope a birthday to remember. Well, you remember this, says Tyrone, and he grounds Hope for a month. Yes. I am After shocked the party. when I see how many Astelli's kids, Astelli's kids, Astelli's friends have a pierced nose, a pierced, this bit of the nose. Right, the septum. Pierced eyebrows. Uh-huh. Tattoos, thank you very much. Tattoos? Tattoos. Who, who has a tattoo in Stelly's group? Great on the bowling team. Which one is that? The one that's really good at bowling. The one that has the... <laughs> that has the McCracken uh, clear bowl with the rose in it. Oh, okay. She's got a tattoo down here. Is it real, though? Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was real. No, it's real. I su- No, no. I, I, I have heard of this. That... You can get a tattoo under the age of 18 yeah, with your parents', parents permission. permission. Yes. And and I refuse to say anything about questioning other people's parenting skills. But No, I I mean if I got a tattoo at like well, she's a senior, so like 17, 16, 17, mm-hmm. I would probably regret it now. Oh, without a doubt. Because it would have been something stupid. Mm-hmm. 
It would have been like Babs Bunny or something. <laughs> well, that's me not getting a Babs Bunny tattoo then. <laughs> no. Or I, or River Phoenix's face. But I remember this from back in Scotland when uh-huh. uh, going to my niece's twenty first birthday party, and all her friends who were the boys particularly who were mm-hmm. like twenty twenty one had entire sleeves done. And it's like, well, first of all. That costs a fortune. Right, yeah. And second of all, that's your arm done now. Yeah. There's no more tattoos going on right. your arm and you're 20. Yeah, there's so much more of your life. But like one of my best friends in high school, Oliver, he had a septum pierced as well. He used to play with it in Latin class. <laughs> he also had orange dreads. So, you yeah. know. We're back to Warsaw Gummage, aren't we? Good, good, good old Oliver. May he rest. Anyway, that took a turn. But but yes, here's Tyrone, outraged, outraged, I say, at a piercing, a piercing that can be taken out occasionally, whereas the god-awful tattoo on his leg is there forever. Oh, look at you stealing my thing. <laughs> well, you hadn't said it yet. Piercings for high school students. I'm not, I'm not quite as... Shocked by. And I'm not really shocked by Hope having a pierced nose. No, because it's so tiny. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, at first, I was like, what is he looking at? Because it's just her face. And it's only when he points it out that I was like, oh, yeah, I guess there is a little teeny tiny bump on her nose. Right. Cassie is surprised how upset Tyrone got about this, calling it a binding experience between her and Hope. Tyrone is disappointed that he can't trust his mom with the girls. Cassie kind of points out that Hope walks all over Tyrone anyway. So meanwhile, Evelyn takes a dog to Tyrone's, where Hope thinks it's a birthday present. Evelyn is shocked by the studied nose, but doesn't think it's a big deal, and Cassie reveals that she successfully talked Hope out of a tongue piercing. That's hilarious. Tyrone thinks Fizz is going to go through the fucking roof about this. Now see, that is something. A a tongue piercing. I would not recommend for someone under the age of 20, because they get infected so easily. Mm. And you really have to take care of them. And we know what teenagers are like when it comes to hygiene. So Tyrone calls Fizz and tells her that the Wi-Fi is down so they can't video chat. Even says it's like living with the Amish. Tyrone explains that Hope was sick so took the day off. And Fizz also seems to be suspicious of the dog that's barking, which Tyrone blames on Freddy and then quickly hangs up. Tyrone isn't happy about getting the dog left with him, but Hope and Ruby complain, so he agrees to the dog staying for a week, which means that that dog now lives with them forever. Right, until the awful man comes back. Right, and that's as far as we get with that this week. Fizz just really needs to come back. How long has she been away for? Like six months or something? It's been a while. Yeah, and I understand an extended maternity leave. But sure, but in terms of the story... It in terms of the story, excessive. yeah. But then again, at least, at least we watched... Fizz go and got to say goodbye to her as opposed to Aggie. Yeah. There's another part of this that is becoming an an all too common tactic by the show, which is to have important things happen off camera and off show. Right. Because I'd quite like to have seen what got Evelyn and Cassie on terms again. Yeah, because it, it just kind of gradually happened. Because they weren't really the last time we saw them together. Because no. it's been a while since Cassie's been in it. Right. And, and this, this was all round about the kind of chess moves of who was going to sleep where and and 
even ended up having to go stay with Roy and was staying in the flat and you know all these people were right but then after that it started to calm down because there have been other episodes where we've seen her we've seen the two of them in the calf having a cuppa together I don't think we have that much because I don't think that Claire Sweeney's been in the show for ages well no but uh, but it has happened since they figured out the whole living arrangement thing Mm. And things have started to calm down because I she's been I'm sober for quite some time. Disagree with you on that one. Well, that's fine. But anyway, it's to the point now where any major disagreement seems to be long in the long in the past. So this ruffian guy then. Yep, we're going to see him again. Doesn't seem to like this dog, so one wonders why he even has it. I plead the fifth. Oh, do you know? Hmm. Is he? Using it for spare parts, is that what it is? No. It's like a never let me go sort of thing, but with dogs? No. Oh, that would be absolutely brutal to watch that. Yeah, yeah. We that that. Can you imagine that, like, on never let prime me go, time television? Dogs. Oh, dear me, I hope it's not that. No, it's, 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 it's something else. With dogs? Yes. A dog storyline? Yes. A sad dog storyline? Yes. <sighs> Damn you, Cornish! Give us happy dog storylines. We've already had our fill of sad dog storylines. We were remind- died yeah, because we were year. reminded of that this 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 week when Evelyn says to Cassie, "You never knew Cerberus, did you?" And then, which makes the audience say, "Oh my God, Cassie never met Cerberus." <laughs> That's devastating that's too sad we're gonna to have to move on to and then race. remember the chinchilla died too yeah guess about that <laughs> moving on then to racist kelly no mates on monday at racist kelly she's got a package in the mail it's a lovely necklace but she doesn't seem to be too happy about it either way it's necklace of the week well yes it is necklace of the week anina's rolls racist kelly comes in for a coffee shona hopes that she's come back for a job but she hasn't max a boy notices that racist Kelly's got a lovely new necklace, what she says was a gift from her new fella. What are you trying to imply about boys? I'm trying to say that there's no way in the world that Max would have noticed that necklace. You don't think boys notice jewellery? I don't think Max noticed that necklace. No way, no how, is Max noticing that necklace. First of all, it was kind of small. Second of all, Max is never noticing that necklace. <laughs> Sean and David get home while Max and Sabrina are watching a movie, just sitting, chilling, doing nothing wrong. And then right. Sean is like, stop doing whatever it is you're doing. I know. They, the the grown-ups seem very disappointed <laughs> that they haven't caught them in the act of doing something other than just sitting and watching television. Right. The chat is about racist Kelly, who they think is now looking down her nose at them because her boyfriend is so rich, which I don't really recall happening but anyway that's apparently a thing hmm. and that's all that happens in that just a quick yeah. filler storyline yeah. for a yeah. few minutes not much blinking you miss it right yeah i have seen speculation about who racist kelly's bow could be griff and i so hope that it isn't is it griff no damon that's <laughs> Helen vomits into the corner of the room <laughs> I've seen a few people mention that they think that it might be Damon 
Damon doesn't seem to me the sort. The pedophile type? No. No. He doesn't really, does he? He does not seem, which is why I made that appalled face, because he likes his ladies his own age. Right. You know. Doesn't seem a fan of the crop top. Right. Far yeah. more into the... Leather skirts. Leather skirts. <laughs> it's a man after my own heart. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think... It, it, whereas somebody like Griff or the the other people of Griff's community... Well, Griff's in the jail, isn't he? He got sent down for years. It's not him. But I do think it's somebody we know. Because why wouldn't it be? And, it's more interesting and, and, than somebody and, we know. And yet... And yet Slim Pickens here. Mm-hmm. Who's somebody horrible? Could it, could it be... Could it be Damon's son, do you think? No, because he wouldn't be spending Jacob. money. That, yeah, that's Jacob. The other J name. And if Jacob's coming back, he's coming back to mess things up between Amy, Amy and, and Andy. Andy. Yeah. Which would be a great storyline. That's a storyline I can get behind. I could get behind that. Yeah. That's another love triangle, and I think we've got enough of them. Right, but still. It's it's a love triangle with three people I actually like. Yep. And, and so everybody I care. loves triangles when they love triangles. And and so No, that's not it. Every triangle's a love triangle when you love triangles. Right, yes. Thank you. You try to throw that into like every conversation now and it's it's wearing thin. Yeah. It'll become funny again though, trust me. But anyway, you know, if if there are three people we like and are invested in, as opposed to Sabrina and Max and Racist Kelly, mm-hmm. then, yeah, then I'm I'm on board 100%. Yep. Or Daniel and Ryan and Daisy, which none of those relationships are believable unless Daniel and Ryan hook up. <laughs> Fingers crossed. It'll take a ton. That's as Ryan and, and Daniel. There has been already been speculation about Ryan and other people, so including his own brother. Ugh. That was my turn to vomit. Let's move on <laughs> to Isla be getting in the way. On Monday at home, Ash and Nina are still having problems arranging their schedules with each other. Asha has an offer from Isla to study and she's going to ding it. But Nina says that she's busy anyway with the college gang. Remember the college gang? The college gang. So she'll be off with them again for the second week. Neither look happy at these developments. So on the street, Amy bumps into Asha. And is, Amy and is, is just bumping into people this week. That's right. And is introduced to Isla, who is weirder than she was last week. Isla doesn't want to study. She wants to get fucked on booze at the bistro. And she marches off singing the Vindaloo song and dragging Asha along. Oh, hiya, says Amy. <laughs> at the bistro, Isla decides to talk about her ex-boyfriend, who was a bit of a loser. And she wants to have some cheers about finding another man. Or, or woman. woman. Maybe it's time to test the other side, she reckons. Asha shits herself at this plainly obvious direction that the storyline has taken, and I don't blame her. Isla and Asha continue their chat, propping their heads up as they look longingly at each other. Isla likes being uh, able to be up front uh, with Asha, and Asha quickly leaves to get another round in. And later, of course, Nina bumps into Amy, who tells her that Asha is on the lash with Isla at the bistro. Nina thought Asha was studying. Squirrel! Shouts Amy, and she runs away. <laughs> Isla and Asha are continuing to bug the absolute and complete fuck out of me. Isla continuing to flirt drunkenly. She instigates an arm wrestling competition to see who will pay for the next round. Which win. is ridiculous. Which I think is just so they can touch hands, isn't it? And then Nina comes in, 
curious to know what the actual fuck is going on here. Isla says that she's been leading Asha astray. Nina smiles, pretends that everything is hilarious and fine. We're back home. Asha explains that Isla needed someone to chat to, so Nina thinks it was lucky that Asha was there for her. Asha wants to watch a movie, but Nina is on her way out to see an old mate, and they both make that same face at the pool when they're unhappy about things. And while Nina is out, Asha makes a call to her supervisor, asking to mix up her mentor so she can get a more holistic view, and this seems to go down well with the supervisor. Meanwhile, Nina is in the bistro getting hammered with Shona. Nina is on the vino collapso and tells Shona about the huge argument she's about to have with Asha about Isla. Shona thinks that Adi had the right idea and making Asha jealous is the way to go. And so she changes her name in Nina's phone to Rob and sends Nina a text saying, How nice it was to meet up, kiss kiss. I can't believe adults think that this is the best way to deal with things. But in fairness, one of these two adults got brain damage when she was shot in the stomach. This is true. So, so makes questionable decisions. <laughs> However... The other adult in the room, <laughs> even though she's drunk, what we know of her would never do this. And is far more sensible and is far more mature, more mature than her age. Yeah. What is going on here? Yeah, the way this is panning out is... I don't like it. It's fairly ridiculous. I do not like it. On Wednesday, Nina is worse for wear in the morning. She gets a message from this Rob that Asha sees, because of course she sees it, and she asks if she should be worried. Nina says that he's just a friendly lad from her course, one of the Coolidge gang. Asha doesn't seem to care too much and goes off to make breakfast. So Nina's rolls, Nina's still nursing her hangover. Shona calls her a lightweight, then they start chatting about this Rob fella. Shona is doing a Ross from Friends here. Remember when he invented Vikram as Phoebe's old flame when she was dating Paul Rudd? <laughs> She reckons that Rob is real now, which Nina needs to disabuse her of, and tells her that Rob's dumped. Instead, she needs to talk to Asha. Right. Great idea. Good. Good. So we're done with this. Right. Right. We're done with this. And Early yet. doors on Wednesday. And yet. Meanwhile, Isla shows up to see Asha. She's caught wind of Asha requesting a new mentor and worries that it's because of her and their chat yesterday. She asks if Asha thinks that Isla fancies her. No, says Asha. Because I do, says Isla. Oh, says Asha. Isla respects that Asha is with Nina, though, and she promises to stay away. And no one mentions how inappropriate this is. So that's fine that your mentor right. is making kind of romantic advances to you. Right, yeah. That's all right? It's not. And yet. Outside, Nina arrives as Asha is bidding a fond farewell to Isla. Asha explains about them being on different crews now as Nina drags Asha away for a chat. So back home, Nina and Asha continue this roundabout conversation that's been going on for a couple of weeks. Right. Nina thinks that she's a third wheel and asks why uh, Asha switched crews. And this forces Asha to admit that Isla had a crush on her. Nina knew it, and somehow this makes the fact that Asha asked for a transfer worse. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense. You can't trust yourself, says Nina. What? This is so manufactured and not something Nina would ever say. Here's Asha doing... The right thing. The, the right and sensible thing of saying, look, this is causing disagreements at home. It's upsetting my significant other. Right. Who I love. Right. This Isla has already kind of... Been inappropriate. Right. So 
the best thing to do is to just push that to one side. Right. Why Nina suddenly has a problem with this right. is utterly ridiculous. And it's so befuddling because the way this seemed to be going the whole time mm-hmm. is that Asha has this girl crush and she's going to push it too far right. and be irresponsible because that's fitting with her character. Right. But all of a sudden, it's Nina who's being inappropriate and irrational when she's one of the most rational characters on this whole show. What is going on? No. Yeah, it's a complete role reversal between the two of them. You would expect Asha to be more flighty like that because she's right. young and this is her first real job. Right. And it's her first time kind of interacting with older people people yeah and older uh, women and adult uh conversations and and stuff like that so she's she's absolutely enamored by the whole thing whole revelation of another world to her which makes absolute sense given her age nina's a a bit older right a bit more worldly wise yes has always been of the opinion that we know we love each other but Sometimes things don't work out, and if right. that's the case, then that's fine, and we'll just shake our hands, and we'll we'll be friends, and right. and all that sort of stuff. And she's been far more uh, mature about her approach to the relationship than Asha ever was. Absolutely. But now, when Asha does the right thing, but Asha can't do the right thing. Everything that she does is wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And it makes no sense. And there's nothing that's triggering this change. No. They try to do it on Friday and we'll get to it. Yeah, but that doesn't make but that any doesn't make sense. sense. No. Shona finds Nina in the community garden with Freddie. Nina explains about Ash and Isla. Shona doesn't see it the same way as Nina does and thinks the switching crew things is positive. Right, because brain it damage, is. Brain damage from a shot in the stomach and still manages to see that this is a positive right. thing. Right. Thinks Rob is real and yet still is sensible. She's taken her paramedic course seriously and doesn't want the distraction. She asks if she trusts Asha. So sheepishly, Nina goes back to Asha's. Asha apologises for some reason. She thought Nina was over the jealousy. Nina admits that she wasn't, but the two of them promise to find time for each other and include each other and trust each other. And they kiss, with Asha giving Nina a special wee kiss on the nose, which was lovely. Yeah. Now at this point, I'm thinking, well, that's that done then. Yes. And it should have been. I thought it was done earlier on today, but right. no, it's fine. It's done now. Yeah. And yet. On Friday, at the shop, Nina drops in to chat to Asha. She's free as a bird today and wants to hang out, but Asha is pulling an all dayer and suggests tomorrow, but that doesn't work for Nina. And I'm about to say, what, we're still doing this? Right. But Nina offers to help out of the shop. I'm thinking, okay, fair Okay, enough. good, yes. So Asha is practicing bandaging up Nina when Nina gets a text and suddenly remembers that she's supposed to be in at work and she hurries off, but not before Asha sees her phone and it's a message from Rob saying, where are you? So as Nina runs off, Asha is furious and she goes to Nina's roles later to confront Nina about the Rob character, demanding to know what's going on. Nina says there is no Rob. Rob is Shona, she just forgot to change her names back. And this makes Asha angrier than ever before Yeah, and she storms off. They should just break up now. More for my sake than anything else, but just <laughs> just have them break up now. So Asha goes to speak to Amy. 
who agrees that this is fucked up. Yeah. Especially with Nina being older and that. But right. Amy says, neither of you two are cheating and you should both just get over it. It's right. not the end of the world. As, exactly. And let's all remember, this was Shona's idea <laughs> and she has brain damage from being shot in the stomach. Back home, Asha is still angry, but is more concerned about Nina's behaviour, <laughs> as are we. Right. And this reminds Asha of how Nina was after Seb passed away. And this seems to touch a nerve with Nina. Right. And with me. And as does Asha calling Nina possessive. Asha still doesn't understand why. Nina says she's scared of being alone and has exaggerated all of her going out with the college gang. Right. But the college gang does exist because we've seen that one text (laughs) that they all sent together for some reason. This about wraps it all up for Asha, and she's out of there, and that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. Now that now that Evelyn and Roy have this really lovely, you know, sort of relationship going on, where where he says yes, Evelyn, an awful lot, right? When it comes to picking up groceries, yes. Nina's gonna move back in and just ruin this all. <laughs> it's how far this is happening for. <sighs> Surely not. Well, it's like, and I meant to mention this when we were talking about the whole Gemma storyline. You know, there's a part of me that thinks, is this, is this the way they're going to get rid of the the quads? Because they've realized that a funny storyline with babies isn't going to work long term. I, you know, I don't think anything would surprise me about the quads these days because you're right. This was something that was funny a few years ago. Right. Isn't funny anymore. No. Let's not forget they killed Oliver. Who I was, was sure. I was born sure. for the same reason. I was sure one of these quads was going to die. I don't think Oliver was born to die. Well, he was born out of a joke storyline. No. Yeah, where Steve... Where... Steve accidentally impregnates Leanne. Well, yeah, he's... that bit of it, but the, but no, the. I, I don't think it was ever treated as much of a joke after that. Although Oliver was born in the elevator, right? Yeah, but I'm, I'm not making my point very well. Right. I don't think, and then they're like, "Oops, you know what? We have enough kids in this show already." No, but it was Let's really important to Leanne who didn't think she was going to be a mother and right and then they and then but they, there's, a, there's a difference between that and giving four kids to Gemma at once and then they murder him and leave her with just simon and sam well yes there is sam who basically is just a side character these days what the heck man yeah he must be really busy on that other show he's on probably that i keep meaning to watch and keep forgetting classic yes the thing that I thought they were getting to was suggesting that after her relationship with Seb, Nina is so damaged emotionally that she's hooking herself on to Asha. Right. And and now can't see herself being out of that relationship when nothing that has happened before right. closer to Seb's death. Right has happened that would suggest that that's a thing but that seemed to be where they were reaching with it right because asha brings up when when uh 
Nina was scared all the time for her and didn't want her to go anywhere alone. They weren't dating at that point. And also it was after that, that, you know, they started dating a little bit. And then Nina said, you know what? I don't think this is the right relationship for her. Either one of us, I think we should break up. And they broke up. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't seem like a person who's possessive because of PTSD to me. Yeah, I kind of forgot about the... What was she worried about? What what was happening that was making Nina worried? Just, you know, her friends going out at night alone where they might get oh, right. attacked. And she was like that kind of with everybody, wasn't she? Like the whole crew. I don't know. I think it, just, it was mostly I, with Asha, but... Because they did, they did have feelings for one another at that point. But they weren't like in a relationship, relationship, because that didn't happen until during, during COVID where they had the pretend kiss. Remember the pretend kiss? I do remember that. Yeah, I, I don't know that enough has happened between those things to suggest that this possessive side of Nina is a thing that is likely to be, that's likely to generate this reaction in her rather than just having Nina talk to Asha about it. Right. And, and, and sort it out immediately. And, and also, let's not forget, Nina was right. Isla did have feelings for Asha. Right. You know, whereas Asha, until the whole arm wrestling thing, poo-pooed Nina's concern mm-hmm. and gaslit her and said, oh no, there's nothing to worry about. And then, you know, when she realizes that there was something to worry about, she does do the responsible thing and change teams and everything. But she never says to Nina, I am so sorry. You were right. She did have feelings for me. And I think if she just said that, all of this would diffuse. Yeah. It's weird that people playing games with each other in a relationship backfires, isn't it? It is. Oh. <sighs> yeah, I don't like I don't like the way this is going. I don't like Nina being portrayed the, as this passive person when she's anything but and right. has been anything but in yeah. other storylines. It's exactly. It's like we're it, and this happens all the time on this show, though. Oh, you've got to change. Yeah, we're, we're faces gonna, to heels and all. We're that gonna sort of cha- we're gonna change your personality just so we can shoehorn you into this mm-hmm. storyline and yeah. make it make sense. Yeah. Boo. Moving on. The next storyline is Dick and Dom. On Wednesday, Nina rolls. Stu thinks it's quiet without Eliza. No one's noticed. Roy thinks if he cares so much, he should invite Eliza and Dom round for Christmas dinner. Sensible. Yasmin agrees, saying that even if Stu hates Dom's guts, Eliza doesn't. So Stu's in Nina's rolls later and bumps into Cassie, who apparently knows him. She reckons that he must be buzzing because of the rap that Eliza, Sam and Hope are doing for the school talent show. God, I do not want to see this. But of course, this is news to Stu, who gallantly pretends that he knows what Cassie is talking about. Isn't it the Christmas concert? Yeah. Eliza is at Stu's later and he makes her feel guilty for not telling him about the rap at the Christmas concert. She says that she didn't tell him because Dom won't be there, so Stu's forced to lie and say that he can be in the same room as Dom without causing a scene. Especially a concert, because it's in a big room. It's not like they have to sit next to each other. So Eliza says, fine, I'll get you a fucking ticket then. 
Dom turns up at Yasmin's later and Stu swallows what passes for his pride and invites Dom and Eliza for Christmas dinner. But sadly, Dom and Eliza will be at Dom's parents. Eliza can't wait to meet them, which is happening tomorrow for the first time. Can you imagine what Dom's parents must be like? I think they'd be lovely. Really? Yeah. Is Dom lovely? No. Dom isn't lovely. We've kind of forgotten all about the 10 grand thing. And apart from the 10 grand thing, and being, he's not actually that bad. And being late almost all the time. Well, sure. And irresponsible and letting her stay up late and watch horror movies. On Friday, it's to be dull. Stu's angry at suppliers because he has to be angry about something. Yasmin pretends that Stu's behaviour is fine, an adult, but Stu tests her further by saying there's no point to Christmas anymore if Eliza isn't going to be there. He suggests that they open the restaurant on Christmas Day, which Yasmin is fine about. and they're okay Because she doesn't practice Christmas. With roping Alia in as well, so long as they're together, but working. They've got a day off. Well. Sam and Eliza are in Speed Dull getting wrecked on lassies as they wait on Hope. Sam has got her a book token for her birthday, which Eliza thinks is a beige convention, which is hilarious. <laughs> is that a thing? Saying beige convention? Yes. That's so funny. And suggests that he should have got her flowers, and Yasmin agrees. Eliza's brought a change of clothes with her because she wants to make a good impression for Dom's parents, who she's supposed to be meeting later, and Dom's supposed to be in to pick her up. Stu insists that they will love her. Quite some time has passed, and Dom is running late. Eliza thinks that he's forgotten, and Stu shakes his head. I fucking knew it, he says, but in Geordie. And when Dom finally gets to speed dial, he's obviously smashed. He's hammered, and they're going to let this child go. Go with him. Late from a work do. And Stu, does he notice? I don't think he does. He doesn't say anything. Right. Yeah. No, well, he confronts him for being late. But he's so obviously bluttered. Right. Yeah. And Yasmin doesn't seem to, doesn't say anything either. Not one of them seems concerned at all that this child is going to get into a vehicle <laughs> with this man. <laughs> what is going on? Dom gives Eliza a hug and all is forgiven and that's all that happens there. Yeah, and one would assume that now he's going to get in a car and drive it, completely drunk, to his parents' house? He can barely talk. He's so drunk and nobody cares. It's like the 1980s. (laughs) Right. When everybody was driving drunk. It's, and no one cares. It's like the 1980s or New Orleans now. People don't drive in New Orleans. Yes, they do. And they're all drunk when they do it. <laughs> Remember, that's the one bit of advice that we got. Be careful when you're crossing the street because you've got to assume that everyone that's driving is drunk. Hmm. Yeah. I, he's going to his parents' house like this. This is not the 1980s. This is not when it's okay to smoke. In a car with your children. Hotboxing. <laughs> I, learned, I learned that from Steli. Not how to do it, just what it was. Well, then there's the other hotboxing. There's another hotboxing? Well, and hotboxing is typically with weed, yes. not with cigarettes. Yes. You know, but also hotboxing in bed when you fart and then you put the covers over your partner's head and, and trap them. Under the covers with your fart. I didn't realise there was a name for that. <laughs> you Americans. 
Yeah, this is a bizarre twist in the story. Right, for yeah, nobody Dom, cares! For Dom, who I was, despite his faults, I was kind of warming to because I just don't like Stu anymore. But this is beyond the pale. No, and nobody cares. This and girl was knocked down like two months ago, and now you're going to be drunk and get her into a car? Yeah, no. And yet that seems like that's what's going to happen. Are they going to get into an accident? Is that what this is for? And it just makes no sense because Stu rails against every single thing Dom does. He thought it was questionable that he took her to a Marvel movie. (laughs) That a Marvel movie was too violent for someone her age. And it's like I don't know that, that what that, is going on here. Yeah, I don't know that they just do this and then not mention it again. But, right, and this is clearly just because we've seen it. This is not the first time that he's drive while drunk, this right, is, or been drunk around his child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's not just it's not that's just the driving that's concerning. No, you don't want to leave a child alone with somebody who's clearly inebriated yeah he's going to leave the chip pan on when he goes home he's he's that drunk yeah oh well we will see what Christmas is like for them then Mm. moving on to our final storyline tonight is not only but also fans on Monday at Carla's Simon has made himself comfy and drank all her beer Carla's (laughs) far from amused and demands that Simon keeps the place tidy and would be clearly happier if he moved back to his own place with his mates, wherever that was. But apparently he's had a falling out with them Ryan for gets, some reason. <laughs> Ryan gets up and tells Carla about his job offer at the gym as a social media manager. She's thrilled and asked if he's spoken to Crystal about it, but he's unsure of where he stands with her because apparently she's off to Glasgow to open up a club. And later... Oh, but... And while all of this is going on... Simon is walking behind them into a closet (laughs) and then walking out with a vacuum cleaner and then starts the vacuum cleaner while they're talking and then knocks something over Mm -hmm. and says like, oh shit or something. Good job, Simon. And then Carl is like, oh, Simon, in a very disappointed Ken voice. Yeah, it seemed to be in that scene that Simon couldn't do anything right and Ryan couldn't do anything wrong. Right, yeah, and it was hilarious. Later, Ryan and Crystal have some chips. From Ryan's side of the conversation, it seemed that Crystal had something to tell him, but upon hearing these news about the Jim's social media thing, she decided to keep whatever it was to herself. Daisy and Daniel are in Nina's roles. She's looking for a new job, and he's reading a book and barely listening. Crystal comes in and mumbles a question at Daisy, which results in Crystal joining them at the table. It's about Ryan and this new job, and her new job in Glasgow. Daisy tells her to follow her heart. It sounds like she doesn't understand Crystal either. Daniel agrees with Daisy, and I reckon that this must mean that Crystal is about to ask Ryan to move to Glasgow with her, or she's about to break up with him. It's impossible to Uh, know which. Yeah, it's the first one. I can understand her. Crystal appears at the flat to see Ryan. From context, she talks to him about moving to Glasgow with her and she'll even set him up with a DJ gig at the club. She she tells him to have a think about it. And I'm like, what is there to think about? This is your dream. Right. Albeit, let's all agree that Glasgow isn't Ibiza. No, but it's still fun. It's a start, right? Right. It's somewhere new. It's with a girl that you 
clearly you, had feelings, feelings for. for. And it's Glasgow. There are great museums. There's a duke with a cone on his head. Right. What more do you want? There's um, good food. Mm-hmm. Bar very soda, good Mitchell food. Lane. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. The best. <laughs> One of my top five meals of all time was at Bar Soba. Yep. At home. Daniel wants to chat about Ryan and whether Daisy thinks he'll go for the move. She doesn't give a fuck and doesn't want to talk about it. Simon comes up with something of Bertie's that he'd left at Ken's. It's Bertie. (laughs) On Wednesday, Simon's in another scene as he bumps into Daniel. He asks how things are with Daisy, which is just the strangest question for Simon to ask. They're family. Still. He's just like, hey, how's it going? How are you and Daisy? He suggests that he would have smacked Ryan upside the head if it had been him. He offers to keep an eye on the situation for Daniel, and Daniel what? happily agrees. What? Whatever has triggered this is anybody's guess. What? Maybe Simon doesn't like Ryan getting his own room or something. Who fucking knows? And he has to sleep on the couch while Ryan gets a whole room to himself. Yeah, Simon's sleeping in that cupboard with the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and then there's Rose Crystal is mumbling to Ryan about, I think, the Glasgow job. He's keeping his options open and is going to record a video for that gym job thing. When Daisy comes in, Crystal is suspicious that Ryan blanks her, but he says he just didn't see her because he was looking into the arse end of an empty cup of coffee. Right. At Carla's, Ryan's kept all of his equipment from his professional wanking days and set it all back up again in the living room. He chases Simon away, and Simon makes it known that Crystal is drop-dead gorgeous, if utterly unintelligible, and Ryan would be a fool to knock back the Glasgow residency in favour of whatever the fuck the he Manchester He just wants his own living. room! <laughs> Then later, Crystal and Daisy bump into each other and Crystal asks if there's anything going on between Daisy and Ryan. Her spidey senses were tingling and she definitely picked up an atmosphere between them in the cafe earlier. She doesn't want to move away with a guy who's pining for someone else and Daisy is a little taken aback by this direct approach but insists that there's nothing between them. So Ryan is doing his video when Daisy comes up. Ryan tries to put her off but it's important that she says what she has to say. Ryan's very dismissive of her, saying that uh, he's keeping his distance despite his feelings. And they chat about how they got their hole, and Daisy says it was wrong, and she loves Daniel, and she needs to put that action behind them. And Crystal is already suspicious of it. Simon comes in, and so Daisy quickly leaves, and Ryan nips off for a shite, and this leaves Simon to investigate Ryan's camera, which, by the way, is still recording. Right, yeah. Even though I could have sworn I saw him push a button... But maybe not. Maybe not. Ryan either hasn't nipped off for a shite and left with Daisy, or he did have a shite and then met up with her later. Anyway, they sit outside the chippy and chat about them remaining friends. She wants to, but doesn't think they can, and reckons it'd be easier if he moved away. Ryan says that he'll miss her. She tells him to forget her and focus on Crystal. Daniel drops in to see Ken to do his crossword and spoil his wordle. <laughs> Then Daniel gets a message, and it's Ryan's video, and Daniel is shocked to see the meeting that they had earlier, the one where Ryan says that he can't forget the incredible sex, incredible sex, incredible sex, incredible sex, incredible sex. Ken asks what he's watching. Daniel splutters that it's just a training video from work. And then, oddly, Daniel listens to it again, this time on his earbuds, over and over and over again. Yeah, without listening to the rest of it, where Daisy says... It was wrong, and I love Daniel. And it is over and can never happen again. And it only happened that once. It's a tough wank, says Daniel. 
but you know what this needs? A sex cardigan. <laughs> and he hurries off. <laughs> and he storms round to see Carla. And he storms round to Carla's, demanding to see Ryan so that he can kill him. Simon tells him Ryan isn't there and urges calm, despite all of this being, being his, his fault. fucking fault. Simon says Ryan has no idea anyone's seen the video, although he's bound to wonder who stopped the recording. Daniel puts two and two together and reckons that they must have got their hole at the rape hotel. Simon says it only happened once and Daisy chose Daniel, so it's all good, surely. Daniel's not sure he believes it. She's lied about anything else, so Daniel goes off to get that cardigan after all. In the bistro, Ryan is shown his video to Toya. Toya's honest opinion is that it sounded stilted. <laughs> Just so serious. Ryan searches for another take and finds a clip of him and Daisy and for some reason watches it all. Sees Simon approach the camera with a quizzical look in his face and Ryan suddenly has explosive diarrhoea and runs off. Yes, he does. Daniel gets back to the young crew flat and sees Daisy interacting with Bertie for the first time in months. Right, yeah. As, as she reads him a book. It's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> She's basically his mother now. Yep. Daniel is obviously in the mood, but says that he's tired. Meanwhile, Ryan has run off home to speak with Simon about his video. Simon explains that he stopped the camera recording, but didn't watch any of it. So Ryan seems to fall for it and heads off back to work. Daniel is in the living room later, in the room with Daisy, listening to the video over and over and over again. And he tells Daisy that it's a training video from work as well. <laughs> He's clearly moody, so Daisy focuses on making eggy bread for her and Bertie. Daniel rips off the earbuds, tells Daisy that he's going for a walk, and she looks like she might be thinking that something's wrong with Daniel, apart from the obvious that he's a total fanny. On Friday, Daniel has taken an unexpected day off work, and then there's an unexpected knock at the door. It's Simon, who they didn't see walk past the big window that they've got. Daisy nips off for a shite, and Simon demands to know why Daniel hasn't chucked her out. Daniel says that he's moved on, and he asks Simon just to drop it. Right. I love Simon's approach here. Chuck her out. Chuck her out. This I'd, is why Simon... I'd chuck her out. This is why Simon's single. Yes, and has ha, been... Has no friends. Has been single his whole time on the show. Has he had a girlfriend? No. I don't remember. No. And it feels like they know people hate Simon. <laughs> And so they're like, any despicable thing that has to happen within this family has to begin and end with Simon. And it happens over... Remember, remember when, when Kelly was going to be sent down and Simon got very angry in the balcony yep. and shouted and had this whole rant that people looked up at him for, and then once it was done, turned back to what they were doing. Yeah, it was Toy and Imran, and they right. essentially said, so So anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hilarious. And, you know, like with this whole vacuum thing. That's, that, that's, there is a whole vacuum thing? That's, that's kind of, I think, what he, what is, like, kind of good when he does things like that that are kind of clumsy and funny mm. and he's a funny character doing clumsy things or being awkward i don't like him being like this little incel who wants <laughs> who it instigates this whole situation where daniel gets to chuck daisy out yep. on her ass 
probably beat her up as well, right? Yeah. Give her a good slap, show her what's what, then throw her out, and then do the same to Ryan. Yeah, this perpetually angry Simon right. is yeah. about as fun as the perpetually angry homeless Stew. Right. Yeah. And like when he first asks Daniel what he's going to do, and Daniel ridiculously says he's going to kill him. Simon seems happy about that. <laughs> right. And and then He just wants something to do. Right. And and then is disappointed that Daniel is taking the high road. Right. Like, how dare you take the high road? I want a woman to suffer because I'm the only character of my age on this show who hasn't had intercourse yet. And nobody talks to me. At Carlos, Ryan has chuffed to announce that he's been offered a job at the gym in Manchester. It seems the boss was cool about all that. Wanking stuff. But Ryan needs to think about it. Does he take the job or move to Glasgow with Crystal? Carla talks him into the former because of plot. Right. And also because she wants him around, even though before she wanted him out. Just just plot then. Yeah. Daniel and Daisy head off to the bistro and are both disturbed when Ryan and Carla turn up. Carla loudly announces that Ryan will be taking the Manchester job. Daniel is shocked, thinking Ryan would want a fresh start. Isn't Ryan full of surprises, he says, and Daisy pretends not to care. Daniel can't get his mind off of this and pretends to get a text from work and rushes off, but outside he sees Simon and demands keys to the flat. With Daniel gone, Daisy goes to congratulate Ryan, who's quick to say that his decision has nothing to do with her and he hasn't told Crystal yet. Daisy thinks she deserves to know and is about to say that honesty is the cornerstone of any relationship, but she must hear how that sounds in her head and she just wanders off. Simon is in the bistro, slamming back the Heineken Zeros and he sees all this. So Daniel breaks into Carla's, kinda, and then goes to the gym to grass up Ryan. Daniel gets home to find Daisy in an uppity mood about him rushing off. He wants to make it up to her. Bertie is uh, fobbed off on Ken and suggests going to an art gallery. There's free wine. She's in her comfies, but the promise of that free wine encourages her to agree. And then Leanne is another person to know about Ryan's new job before Crystal when he explains it to her. But then he gets a text from the gym telling him that the job offer has been rescinded because he injects steroids up into his arsehole. Well, they don't even tell him that. Ryan feels like an idiot and is now confused as to why the job would suddenly be refused. Carla wants to know why and demands that she and Ryan go to see these fuckers and get some answers. In the street, Daniel gives the keys back to Simon, who seems appalled that Daniel would have grasped Ryan up. You've changed your tune, says Daniel, and you're supposed to have moved on, says Simon. You thought Daniel was better than this. It's like, what? What is going on? Why all of a sudden is the little incel now like, okay, you said you were moving on, and I thought you were better than this. And yet, and yet like, six scenes ago, when you said you were going to kill him, I was happy to help. Ryan and Carla don't get anywhere at the gym, so they go back to the street and chat about what could have been, but Carla thinks that uh, Ryan has dodged a bullet and sad. Ryan goes for a walk to clear his head. This seems to have affected him quite a bit. After that gallery thing, Daniel and Daisy see Ryan sitting on his own in the community garden. Which was apparently appalling. They've heard what happened and Daisy wants to check that he's okay. Ryan explains about going to the office to get some satisfaction, but they brick-walled him. Ryan thinks that they've got cold feet because of his scars, and now he feels like he's back to square one, and Daniel thinks, 
Oh, oh shit. shit. I never thought about that. Right. Yeah. Yes. Supposedly one of the smartest characters on the show. And only now is he realizing how emotionally damaging maybe this is to poor Ryan. Right. Daniel says that this is the universe's way of telling them to move to fucking Glasgow. Maybe, says Ryan, and he wanders off. Daisy thinks Daniel has been super supportive, and this is why she loves him. So Ryan finally meets Crystal and Speeddal and gives her the good news. He'll be accepting the job in Glasgow, and the two of them are thrilled. And Daniel is sitting in the waiting area and smiles the smile of the fanny as he overhears this. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yes. A lot of shite being thrown at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> so this kind of goes back to our cheeky comment in the feedback section of, is this... Is this Daniel's way of dealing with things when he's trying to manipulate things like this? Or would he just square up for a fight? Now, if he squared up with a fight with Ryan before, Ryan would destroy him. Absolutely. And he must know that. Right. So he's got to outsmart him. I don't understand. He must have. Did he go to the apartment to try and find the steroids? I think so. And take that with him to the gym? What what about Daniel's face would make you just accept what he says mm-hmm. when he's not somebody you've ever seen before? This guy just wanders off the street and says to you, hey, you may not want to hire this guy that you just hired. And never mind how I know that you just hired him. But see these steroids? They belong to him. He's now, been shooting up steroids, so you shouldn't hire him. And they just believe him? So I work in HR. Not that kind of HR, but I do work in HR. Yeah, you work in a better HR. And part of HR, when it comes to interviewing for people, right. is you, you have to take, well, you do this here. I don't know if this is the same in the UK. I would assume that it is. And from what I can remember of doing it in the UK, it is kind of similar. Mm-hmm. you got to take lots and lots of notes during an interview. And when you reject someone for a position Mm -hmm. you need to have something that backs up your decision right that this person didn't give a good example of how they show leadership qualities or stuff like that yeah so you can go go to document it right what you can't document is say some guy came off the street right and told me that the candidate was using uh, steroids right that wouldn't fly no so you're right and you would also be up if you've offered someone a job if you have formally offered someone a job and they've accepted it and they've accepted it you cannot just abruptly rescind it without giving an answer i don't think you can no No, that's not legal but maybe to just just take their chances that he's not going to follow up or right yeah but just about it but it's just which makes me feel like Carla is right. He dodged a bullet. Mm. Why would he want to work there? Right. They're terrible. Right. That woman at the reception desk was terrible. She was awful. It didn't seem like a gym to me. No. I kind of forgot what it was. It was a little too pink. <laughs> it was a bit. Which also, the young folks flat, they move in and they paint it pink. Was this Daniel's idea? What is going on there? That yeah. does not look like either one of theirs aesthetic. And that boogie sign is still up. Yes, sir, I can boogie. Which I like to think is there for me. <laughs> so, here's the thing. 
we've said for for a while since the acid attack, really. Right. That, that this, this wouldn't surprise us if Ryan left the show at this point mm-hmm. because there's an overhead now on right. every episode that he appears in, which is he has to spend more time in makeup getting this right. getting little latex put on. or whatever stuck on exactly the right place. And, right. and they do change it. So it, yeah, it is much less it's obvious. It's not as angry. Yeah. yeah. So there is part of it that is a developing uh, bit of prosthetics that mm-hmm. they're, they're putting on them. How long is the actor or the show going to be bothered with doing this? Right. And they had a chance for him to leave before and they never took it. Right. Here it is again. Yeah. Do you think this is Ryan's exit from the show going to Glasgow with Crystal? At least for a while. I don't know if it's a permanent end. Because I I kind of imagine that he's going to find out that Daniel knows. And if Daniel knows, well, does that change anything? Because if Daniel knows, the thing that they were trying to avoid has happened. So there's nothing that they can do to stop that anymore. Does that give Ryan an expectation that maybe he and Daisy can be an item again? I No. No, no. I feel like that ship is... I, I feel like he may think that, but I think especially for Daisy, that ship has sailed. Hmm. That any relationship they have together will always be overshadowed by the guilt of having slept together when she was still with Daniel. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, Daniel's a dick. Yep. And Daisy deserves better. But... This isn't the way to go about it by making her seem a bit worse. I just don't think that I want Ryan to leave the show. I quite like Ryan's character. Remember how much we hated him when he first started because he couldn't act drunk? (laughs) Remember that awful, awful attempt at pretending to be drunk? I feel like we can't talk about Ryan without talking about that time that he kind of walked into a table and then fell over. Right. But no, he's he's a he's a good character. He's grown on he us. He needs to be with Alia though. And right. And the sooner that the show realizes this, the the better. The but better. I'd much rather have that than have him leave. Speaking of which, where's Alia? We've had lots and lots of scenes in that house and with Stu and Yasmin. And Alia has now disappeared. As well as Aggie. Are they just disappearing all characters whose name starts with an A. Should Asha and Addie be watching their backs? I don't know where she is, but I can tell you where she's going to be on Christmas Day. She's going to be working, thanks to Stu. (laughs) Good job, Stu, you asshole. Hey, hey. If places like that were not open on Christmas Day, we would starve on Christmas Day. (laughs) That's true. Indian food again. It's Indian food for us on Christmas Day. Or Chinese. That's tradition. It's either the Indian or the Chinese. It's been a while since we've had Chinese. That's because the last Chinese we went to was so depressing. In the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. No, that was... No, no, uh, it was New Hampshire. Oh, no, that was a... Yeah, that was a buffet. Yeah, it was depressing. It was depressing. And kind of watery. No, the the depressing Pennsylvania was a truck stop. Mm -hmm. The food was terrible. The Indian last year was so good. I loved that place in Groton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say no to that again. That'll probably be what we do. <laughs> and then head home. Oh, Coronation Street. Yeah. 
No, that, I kind of feel that's been We've revealed. talked an awful lot about food today. I kind of feel, yeah, I haven't had my dinner. Um, I kind of feel like that's where Ryan is headed. But I think this is going to... I think this is going to cause a bit of a rift, at least, between Daniel and Daisy, because it's going to come out that he knows, because he's not good enough at keeping a secret. No. On, Neither and, is Simon. And Simon's untrustworthy in, in that department as well. And now that Simon's disappointed in what Daniel's doing... Right, after, he, after you know, sharpening his knives, as soon as Daniel said, I'm going to kill him. Yeah, he might be the one that actually lets us all... Let's this cat out of this bag. Right, especially since he's drunk all the time now. Yeah, on the Heineken Zeros. I wish he was on the Heineken Zeros. He'd be a more decent child. Well, I think that about wraps it up for... Yes. Not not a second of bullying this week. Woohoo! Yeah. No bullying storyline. I'm very, very... That's... It, it may be... It may be the only thing this week has going for it. But at least it's something. I kind of fell into the same uh, sort of opinion as I have recently where Monday and Wednesday wasn't that great, but Friday kind of brought it around a little bit for me. I didn't mind Friday as much, but I was having a hard time with it on on Monday and Wednesday. And I, again, feeling that if they were to introduce the stew storyline on Monday, I, I may have just switched off. Hmm. Anyway, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Chesney. What? Confronting Big Garth. I know. It shocked me too. I don't know if it was the Big Garth bit or Chesney confronting Gemma. <laughs> or, or Chesney trying to have a cup of tea. <laughs> a cup of tea and we sit down. Right. Because even that was great. I thought it was good uh, talking to Gemma about how this was her fault. It wasn't sugarcoating it anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Garth stuff, Big yeah. Garth stuff was probably it. Yeah, because it's Big Garth, you know, and it's kind of him also confronting his past in support of his future. Oh, nicely done. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, we'll call that our moment of the week. Good A job, Chesney. Chesney. Moment of A the week. Chesney moment of the week. Put some lottery numbers on, Chesney. <laughs> this week is your week. And your boring moment of the week. Ken telling Daniel not to do his crossword. Yeah. There you go. And then mentioning Wordle. Well, it was Daniel that mentioned the Wordle. I know. And somebody mentioning Wordle. I'm back into Wordle. Which is not even a thing anymore. Because it is. I'm big into Wordle these days. Hasn't it like been ruined because it was bought out? No, it just... It became commercialized it's because really New York Times bought stuff it. really flashy and stuff in the no, ads? No, it's exactly the same. Oh, okay. I'm on an eight-day streak. Which isn't very good. But yeah, that is our... Boy moment of the week. Your score out of ten this week? Four. I think it was a five again. I think I gave it five last week. I think you gave it five last week. Do you think this week was a little bit worse? I think it'll be the same for me. Yeah, I mean, they're about the same. And like I said... At least they didn't have the bullying storyline this week, which is something I hate. They're not going to be bringing out the big guns this close to Christmas. mm. They're going to wait for the Christmas week for the good stuff. Well, that's not even good. We have a a couple of weeks of this to negotiate. It's got that going for it, but 
the complete 180 of Nina's character mm. and just the weird use of Simon, who should just be the character who walks around with a vacuum cleaner and then bumps into things. Yeah. It worries me that these are the storylines that they're running with in the lead up to Christmas because yeah. none of these feel like Christmas storylines. No. Daisy and Daniel, yes, it, Maybe. that feels like a Christmas storyline, but so much of this is just B stuff that should never be built up for anything. It's like, are they going to take, are they going to permanently take Gemma and Chesney's kids away from them forever on Christmas? Right. One would hope I, not. I don't want to see that, even if they do. Right. All right, this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen, and Christy. Muchas gracias. That's almost taken two breaths to get through. If you've ever done Wordle in one, write in to let me know about it. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're so at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky-clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to merch to our YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes, please. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more... A Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.